Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community and communities create social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with David Ben. He's the artistic director for Magicana here in Toronto. And it's an organization you're going to want to learn a little bit more about. What we really got together to talk about was his fundraising drive that he's about to go on. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of fun. He's going to shave his head of hair. For, for those of you who know me, that, that's pretty meaningless. But in David's case, it's it kind of means a great deal. But he's hoping to raise about a quarter of a million dollars for cancer research. And there's a lot of good reasons for that. Uh, we talk about difficult things and why they're the best things, according to David. We talk about why he's been obsessed with magic for 40 years and why secrets are so important. We get into mentorship and we get into what it means to be a student and why a magician's not an actor playing the part of a magician. That's kind of interesting. We talk about wonder and exploration and and why David is is fascinated by paradox. I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. There's a lot going on. There's so many metaphors and we even talk a little bit about the new Star Wars film and 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 what it means to be a Jedi. So I mean, come on. That that's the reason alone for listening to the interview. So buckle up. davidpecklive.com, rabble.ca for more podcasts coming soon to a digital device near you. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest, an old friend of mine, David Ben, uh, who is the artistic director of Magic Kennedy. He's just come off a couple of weeks at the Soul Pepper Theatre in Toronto and about to step into a, quite a fundraising campaign. Uh, I'm looking at quite a mop of head of hair here, David, that's yes, soon the, to disappear. Uh, that's right. Princess <laughs> Margaret Hospital's uh, No Hair Selfie campaign. Uh, where a bunch of us are trying to raise awareness for cancer research by agreeing to shave our head completely bald. Uh, this will be timed with World Cancer Day on February 4th, and it's now gone global with other programs in South uh, Africa, in Israel, I believe in South America, and it was all spearheaded last year out of Princess Margaret Hospital. And I suggest you go to nohairselfie.com and download the app because I believe it does some wonderful things to help you simulate what you'd look like without <laughs> hair. I don't but have a problem with you that. You don't. But in my case, I've had this sort of, I suppose it's a signature mop, uh, cultivated uh, perhaps after through osmosis. And uh, it's a great cause, having been touched by cancer. They say one in three have been touched mm. by cancer. But in my case, I lost my sister-in-law 16 years ago. My wife two and a half years ago, and my niece this summer. Wow! So, uh, holy cow! Yeah, and that's the tip of the iceberg. There are many other friends, well, but they're also good cancer stories. You know, we have friends. Uh, Suli, who works with us, has been you know past remission for years and years and years. And Daniel Zuckerbrot has beat cancer, knock on wood. And so there are success stories. But it's interesting the whole cancer fundraising you know issue and how incremental the research is sort of ties in with how I feel magic is learned that that if you're going to do difficult things uh, which are the best things I think 
you have a lot of failure. So you have to be able to embrace failure and not let it get you down. And I imagine it's the very same thing for cancer researchers where there's a lot of failure. But um, if you keep at it, I believe like you can perform miracles well, with magic. You can do it with cancer. There's, disco there's discovery and failure, is there not? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you're a magician. Uh, you're a writer. You're a director, uh, producer. You've kind of done it all. Someone who can't um, hold down a real job, as right. they say. That's right. We're sitting in a library here, several thousand books and journals about uh, the art of magic. Yeah. You've just come off this show. You're playing with a pack of cards as I interview you. What's in it for you? Why? Why magic? I mean, it just—it's. It's a, I think it's a pretty simple question, and yet I think ultimately quite profound in your case. Well, you know, I was sort of muttering earlier that don't be surprised if I have no answers because <laughs> right. um, the more that I have done this now, and it's kind of sad, to, not sad, but it's sad. Well, maybe it is sad. It's sad to think that I have now been doing magic, kind of obsessed with magic for uh, 40 years. Like you hit the big 4-0. And that's not an age because I'm 54 now, 55 in March. But 40 years uh, obsessed with this subject and it hasn't abated in any way, shape or form at any particular point. And, and I've said many times that I believe some people think musically. I believe some people think in terms of language. I believe that some people maybe think in terms of numbers. And I just think in terms of magic, which means that my brain has always explored the idea or been fascinated by paradox and how can I purportedly resolve that paradox and that's just the way my brain is wired and it's taken me many many years to both realize that and uh, not so much embrace that as being I guess it's realize that and then phase two is not be ashamed by that and then phase three is embrace that why is, why is that sad you mentioned earlier or is well, I guess it's just being playful in words. I mean, it's just, uh, who knows? I, I don't... Uh, Sad that you've, you've missed out on something else? No, or that you I haven't didn't, really missed on anything else. But that, that you didn't done. go to the, like, spend your time in the laboratory? Is that kind of uh, what you mean? No, like, maybe I, I should No, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm being more, you know, uh, I'd say ironic, except I'm not sure of the meaning of that. <laughs> Neither am I right now. <laughs> so, Small eye. So, yeah, yeah. So, no, I don't know. I just, uh, it's just, no, I think I, I, I've been very... Uh, focus, but it's not by design; it's by nature. Uh, so, no, I, I don't have any regrets. So, so, by nature, interesting to me. So, you've you've uh, studied under Ross Bertram, a famous Canadian magician, a writer, yes. and so on, uh, and spent a lot of time sort of under his tutelage of a sort, alongside. You say by design. So, where does somebody like Ross, a uh, teacher, a master, the apprentice, the whole? Well, you know, you I, know I fit in. I. Uh, I think there's a big difference between what obviously the public perceives as magic and how you learn magic and what's involved with magic where you go to used to be magic shops or you buy a get a book in the library or you um, now go to the internet and really that has absolutely nothing to do with the sort of magic that I know love and explore uh, and the real I and then there's a school of people who say that magic is based on this sort of it's a phrase attributed to this great French magician, uh, Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin, that said the magician is really an actor playing the part of the magician. Well, I don't think that's true either. Hmm. Uh, I think that magic is its own uh, genre, its own media. Like, it's a separate art. Well, not, uh, it's a craft that can be, I say, an art in the hands of an artist. But I think it has its own sort of aesthetic and uh, skill set requirements that differentiate it between uh, acting and all these other disciplines. Uh, and I think that to, to really study it and to really uh, develop a proficiency with it and to become... Uh, to use it as an outlet for really creativity, you, you require uh, a different set of skill set than just being an actor memorizing a skit. And, and, and to me, it has more of a, if I had to draw a parallel to anywhere, it would be a cross between um, music and dance. I, I, I think it has much more in common with uh, developing uh, 
the ability on a fine instrument, let's you know, violin, piano, or any instrument that you want to take to that that level. And so what that means for me with my training is I had kind of the, if I had to put it in a parallel universe, I started working out at a music shop, but it was actually a magic shop. And that's where instead of being along a McQuay, it was more C magic. And people would come in and I would, you know, sell them sheet music and, uh, uh, you know, simple ukuleles, uh, you know, type of thing. But I had a great exposure to that. I was constantly... You know, um, you know, exposed to that. And then I was sort of, I've had many mentors, you know, people are fortunate if they have like one mentor in their life. And I've had at least four, and I could be charitable and probably say six different mentors in different fields over the course of my life. So yes, Ross was instrumental, but he was just, he was just one of them. Right? And so, but then from the magic shop, I was my relationship with Ross Bertram, who I describe as one of the, the virtuoso sleight of hand artists of the 20th century. Um, it was like studying with, you know, Glenn Gould, right? And so with his own reclusive period, his, mm. uh, the virtuoso uh, technique, the, um, the understanding of all aspects of different branches of it, uh, just that total life obsession. And, and so I studied with Ross for, it's hard to say because it's not a, it was never a defined thing. I, I asked him to take me on as a student and he said he didn't take students, but he would answer all the questions that I had. And, and every weekend for four years, for four or five hours at a time, then morphed when I moved away to, to law school, I would commute back on weekends and, and then it sort of drifted when I went to England. So then we got like a six year span. Right? What I, what I hear there is this, I mean, I hear a lot of stuff there, David, but I hear a, a serious, passionate commitment to the cause, to the, not to the effect, not to, to not maybe to, to the relationship. Was it yeah, to the relationship? Yeah, but the, you, but the commitment to me is, is well, essential. Well, commitment is important, but, it's essential. It's, but I'm not sure it's to any cause. It's like somebody asked me, uh, oh, it was on Q. And they, they said, well, you're no one for trying to elevate magic into an art form and you want to elevate it into an art. I don't, I'm not interested in that at all. Mm. I, and I'm interested in my work. I'm interested in the exploration of ideas and things that, uh, the way that my head works. And I'm not interested to raise magic in the eyes of the audience or, um, or the magic community. Even though, you know, Magic Canada, we formed this organization to, for the, to study the performance and advancement of magic as a performing art. But that's not, and I guess there's a public element to that, but it's not really... It's an unexpected outcome? It's an unexpected outcome. It's an unexpected outcome. So, uh, so you're in this for yourself, in a sense, as an artist as a thinker, well, guy yeah. fascinated by paradox, and yet you've just walked off, what, 22 shows? Yes. Yeah, but I think that's how you... For sold-out yeah. crowds. Lots of, lots of people yeah, saw yeah. it. Yeah, so, yeah, which is great. But, uh, but, you know, I guess the key is, and this is, um, you know, you've known me a long, long time, and people have always asked me, you know, uh, over the years, I get asked, well, what do you do? It used to be, do you do this full time? Then, you know, what do you do? Well, what, how do you feel your day? And, and, and yeah. Harrison, my son, when he was younger, came up to me one day, and I guess he was in his teens, and he, and he actually late teens, and he said to me, so, like, what do you do all day? Right? <laughs> you can hear Harrison oh, saying I can that. hear that, yeah. <laughs> and I said to him, well, um, I practice. I said, you see me practicing every day. I practice a few hours every day. And he goes, yeah, what else? And I said, well, I, I write. You see me like writing a lot. And he goes, yeah, what else? And he says, well, I, you know, I do some of the business finances and stuff because I have that background. And he says, and, yeah, what else? And, and I said, I dream. And, he, and he, he looked at me and he said, you dream? And I go, yeah, I just sit here and I, I, I just dream. And, and that, that conversation was important for me because it made me start to realize that maybe I can use the A word without pretension. And the A word for me is the scariest word in, in the English language, and that's artist. And I've always been attracted to, to the th- arts. I'm trying to think of something funny, and I'm sorry, I just couldn't come up with it, the A yeah, word. I, I just... know, I know, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm afraid to say it. And I was hmm. afraid to say that what, I'm an afraid artist. To, yeah, afraid to call yourself an artist. Afraid to call myself an artist. I remember a book, and it might even have been a book that you recommended to me some 27 years ago, and in it, no kidding, and I can't think of the title, 
start referring to yourself as an artist today. If you're a poet, you're a poet. Say to, say to your friends, say to your wife, say to your mom, hey, I'm a poet now. Yeah. I'm an actor. I'm a right. writer. And you're yeah. still struggling with that today. Well, for sure. Now I'm starting to say, because I'm older, and I'm saying, you know what, I'll take you on. If you want to really have the fight over it, I don't really care. But I, I was embarrassed to say it in a way, because I had mm. so much respect for so many great artists and so many different disciplines that to even think that I'm connected to them was right. intimidating. Sure, of right, course. Right. David, do you think, I mean, maybe an insight here of a sort, but do you think that um, um, your, your contribution won't really be seen until down the road. Is, know, that, is that the I definition of an artist, of, you know, right? Perhaps, you know, I, I, again, not to refer back to Q, but we sort of touched on this, and, and I said to them, like, to me, an artist is someone who has an understanding of the past, a um, superb technique, and a vision for the future. And you need all three. And, uh, and, I, and I'd say I'd like to be... I suppose considered an artist, but I said it's not for me to judge. Right. I mean, and so maybe there, you know, there is a time. But again, to me, that comes across as you know pretentious to say, well, one day they will realize, you know, maybe there is no contribution. You know, right. Maybe, and 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 it's really not done for that. It's done for, I guess, I'm gonna say personal. It's not even personal growth. It's just like it's in you to do this. So what's so? And I get that. And and you're fascinated by paradox. I love that line. Uh, you dream. You you know you're doing. You're interested in your work and your ideas. I get all that. And yet, I mean, magic was not meant to be done. It seems to me in isolation. Isn't it about sharing? Isn't it about a relationship well, with your you audience? Well, you know, I sort of coined the moniker for Magicana, which is sharing, sharing wonder. wonder. Right. And and I believe that's what it's about. And there's there's a double-edged thing here, though, in the sense that, you know, Luke Sant, I've quoted this many, many times, uh, he wrote this piece for the New York Times magazine supplement, I think it was around 2001 or so, I referenced it in the Advantage playbook. And um, the, uh, in fact, I can just pull it off the shelf or you can reach up behind and just, uh, if you grab the tricks of the Advantage playbook. Yep. Yep. And, and, and basically what he's saying, saying here, in fact, you know, it's just this, Remarkably crazy um, passage here. So you got advantage play there, and I'll, I'll pull nice, that out. Nice library. Oh, there you go. So, to me, this was a pivotal thing in the understanding of what it is that I do, and, and I can just read. Um, yeah, go. Parts of it. It was the New York Times Magazine, December third, two thousand. I said it was devoted, was dedicated to secrets, uh, and and I. And translate secrets into to magic. And, and Luke Sant wrote this piece, What Secrets Tell. He said, people need secrets because they need the assurance that there is something left to discover, mm. that they have not exhausted the limits of their environment, that a prize might lie in wait like money in the pocket of an old jacket, that the existence of things beyond their ken might propose a corollary that their own minds contained unsuspected corridors. People need uncertainty and security. It's not that secrets make them feel small, but they make the world seem bigger. A major necessity these days when sensations need to be extreme to register at all. Secrets reawaken that feeling from childhood that the ways of the world were infinitely mysterious, unpredictable, and densely packed, and that someday you might come to know and master them. Secrets purvey, purvey affordable glamour, suggest danger without presenting any actual threat. If there were no more secrets, an important motor of life would be stopped and the days would merge into a continuous blur. Secrets hold out the promise, false but necessary, that death will be deferred until their unveiling. And I thought, man, that's why we do what we do. Beautiful. I mean, but why the hell did you go into magic? Why not become a philosopher? Why not become a scientist or a Catholic priest, for heaven's sakes? Oh, because I think magic was the root of all of them. Interesting. So, what is that? The discovery part of that? The, yeah, the, the all one, that the flows one. out of magic. I mean, if I mean, I'm not into the sort of shamanistic roots as much as some of these other people, but there's no doubt about it that uh, you know, magic. It's interesting. Magic for, involves power. It's a beautiful uh, quote, by the way. Uh, at page two fifteen, advantage play for yeah. those of you out there who want to look it up. Um, magic involves power, and yet I've never hmm. bothered to exercise power 
with magic because you hear a lot of people get into magic because they're compensating for some awkwardness as a youth right insecurity insecurity yep. self and, and, and mm-hmm. I, I you know so I never had that like I, you know, so I didn't have a hey I you knew know, you when you were young yeah <laughs> and I wasn't and you were younger <laughs> That's so true. and but I don't I didn't have those sort of you know problems to me uh, where that attracts a lot of people to magic because all of a sudden they have a secret you don't and that gives them a sense of sort of power sure. over yeah, and, yeah, and totally. I've I've always been interested in sort of that concept of sharing wonder and awe but to get back to that question I think as I was working on this the biography of Di Vernon this I consider the most influential magician of the 20th century this great Canadian magician uh, born 1894 died 1992 Vernon uh, the magic community, a lot of them believe that his some of his greatest work was done in the 1960s when he moved out to California and to be a pillar at the Magic Castle and modern day contemporary magicians traveled out there to sit at his feet. And I believe his greatest work as a performer, creator of magic was probably in the 1930s, 40s. And when he was at the castle, he started experimenting with what I'm calling atonal magic. And, and part of this is interesting. This will come out, I'm sort of tipping a theme in volume two of the book, which I'm now sort of at work on, that uh, the magic community in the um, sort of latter half of the 20th century took a left turn at Vernon, thinking that the problems he's working on as an older man, which were atonal magic problems, were uh, commercial solutions to problems. And when really he wasn't interested in performing at that point, he was debating on an intellectual plane concepts like Jackson Pollock would do with painting or other sure. areas. And the, the, the acolytes, the acolytes there would say, well, no, this is what we need to work on. This is doing because this is what he's interested on, not understanding that that was really not the motivation or the reason for going for that. So in one sense, I think magic can be sharing wonder. On the other hand, I think it's a great... Um, intellectual exercise that can be done as a solitary uh, thing where you don't absolutely need that audience and it's not always about performance uh, Eugene Berger I think said the, the magic mansion contains many rooms mm. and mm-hmm. I think that's true so uh, you know, one of the interesting things for me and I'm starting to define this more and more I started uh, developing it years ago but trying to trace what I say, what school are you from? That there are many schools of magic and uh, you can't really say one is necessarily better than the other without putting in your own you know, subjective uh, analysis on it. But it got me thinking, well, there is the sort of Alexander Herman through Keller through Thurston stage school versus the sort of... Um, uh, you know, Bamberg approach, which translates into Doug Henning. There's the Vernon East Coast Stars of Magic School, which I came out of with Ross Birchman, people like that, versus the Vernon West Coast School. There's the Spanish School by Thamariz and Scania. There's the Japanese School. There's the Chavez School. There's, there's the Marlowe Chicago School versus the Chicago Bar Magic School. And, and I think that from a... Uh, there's... So as a performance point, you can, it's helpful to trace, well, where are you out of? Uh, you know, there was a line by Picasso that I just wrote down. I found it in one of my old notebooks, which, to paraphrase, said, the quality of the artist is uh, dependent upon the amount of the past that he carries with him. And, and I think that knowing what school you're from is helpful. But there's also that school where you can be that introvert just working on those intellectual problems that have plagued people for, for centuries. And, and I look at Vernon and Jay Marshall, uh, the great you know, dean of American magicians who died, well, probably 50, 10 plus years ago. When I, when I asked him about Vernon, he said, uh, Vernon never really invented anything. He just exercised perfect editorial judgment. And I thought that's fantastic because that's what Vernon did. He would reflect over a problem over the course of 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And if it originally started out with six steps, he'd knock it down to five. And 10 years later, down to four, and then down to three, and then down to two, and then insert a psychological gambit that made it appear self-working. And so I thought the best magic is really just achieved by people spending years of exercising editorial judgment. 
So now when I look at myself at 40 years and where my work is now, I think a lot of these pieces you may have seen in the show we did at Soul Pepper is a reflection of 20, 30, bordering 40 years of editorial judgment. But you can do that privately. You don't have to do that in performance. You can take an intellectual problem that magicians have been uh, worrying about for 500 years and and, and there's a room for that. That's good. Is there a sense in which that you don't actually know why you do what you do? Oh, I have no idea. Like, you know, you're fascinated by paradox. You, you know, uh, from the quote, the New York Times quote that you just read, you know, this idea of uncertainty. I mean, I've often thought that... The imagination is just an amazing thing and you just kindle that imagination and, and... that's enriching in its own life. It's like Stuart James, the great inventor of magic tricks in Courtright, Ontario, where he, he invented his imaginary friends to talk to. You know, this was Edward de Bono's six thinking hats you know, years before de Bono was born. Uh, allowed him to be an explorer of the subconscious. And Stuart used to say, he said to me, that the... You know, if you could be a physical explorer like Christopher Columbus, you could go out and you could purportedly discover new worlds, but pretty well all those new worlds are done. And then there are new worlds in perhaps in the, the universe and people explore those, but it was just as rewarding to explore the new worlds in purely of your imagination. Uh, and I always loved Stuart's notion that he thought if he could create any animal in existence, he would call it the homing hopper, which would be the cross of a grasshopper and a homing pigeon, so that you would go deep in your self-conscious and you would hop around from different areas, but uh, you could get so lost that you needed the homing pigeon aspect to get out of your own subconscious to, so that you wouldn't lose your Sounds mind. Sounds like a scene from a Charlie Kaufman film. Actually. Right, yeah. well, <laughs> could be. Do you know, I interviewed a director recently uh, of a, a documentary film, and, I, and a, a, after getting off the phone in the interview and hitting the tape button the end of the, the, the end of the interview, thinking... I'm not really sure what we got there. I'm not really sure what bubbled to the surface. And and yet there's this brilliant film. Right. There's this piece that people will enjoy, that people will be challenged by, that people will come back to. They will, you well, know, they will study. And well, I think you want everything to work on multiple levels. And the filmmaker, and my point is, David, the filmmaker didn't really know how right. he got there why he got there what uh, you know i well so what compelled you to make this film well i don't know i just you know there were these almost non-answers in a <laughs> well, way well no, you know? i and, have the answer i have the answer and i've used it many times and people generally say well why did you do this right and the answer is it seemed like a good idea at the time <laughs> right. i mean it, it did and, yeah, and yeah. not being afraid you know and part of it you know it's another you know interesting not being quote. afraid it's great and, and and it's here's the line the line is um David Bowie was a kind of a big influence on me when I was a kid. He was I was of that vintage, and years uh, into you know that love of that music, I I heard Bowie talking about an album, and that he knew it wasn't perfect. But it, the point is n- not to achieve perfection on that, just to do it's like a snapshot of your body of work at a particular point in time, and then you move on. And then you move on, right? Yeah. And then I just heard a quote. The other day, I was listening to uh, Jazz FM, and uh, there was uh, they were talking a Da Vinci quote, which I wrote down, which says, um, "Art is never finished, just abandoned." And I thought, man, that's absolutely right. That's that snapshot thing. And then the same weekend, Carl Johnson, the writer from in New York, was up to hang out, and we were talking about this concept, and uh, this uh, guy who did a biography of Dylan sort of uh, pressing Dylan on, uh, you know, what was the meaning of, you know, right, those right, works? And right. Dylan said, I don't know, it was a record. I got 20 of them. Like, it was just like... <laughs> right. And so, right, right. Th- th- that's Well, and it. maybe we're looking... now. Maybe now it's time, this this idea of recollection. It's time to look back I mean, and I know, say... I can tell you. Points. I can tell you why we did things. I can tell you every little piece and line in the show and where it came out of and what the influence was and what I was thinking about it. Well, we're talking about authorial intention, really, yeah, right? Yeah, that, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure that anyone really does. Right. In fact, I don't even know what the words were you used. 
What were they again? Authorial intentions. Wow. So you know, you you look at a body of work and you see yeah. you so so on the surface maybe it's except for Erdnays because he needed the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like you say, you, you you what made me think of it was when you said we have our reasons for why we did what we did. Yeah. But there there's another level. I mean, you want to call it subconscious, you want to call it subsidiary, you want to call it you know uh, uh, nuanced or subtle, whatever. There's there's a whole other level that some of this stuff seems to me to be working on. Yeah, I guess that's um, well. That's all that that also just brings in the whole notion of uh, the viewer, you know, and what is their role in the process, you know. If uh, so, what is their role in the process? You know, I'm walking out of the show on Sunday at the Soul Pepper, one of your second or third last performances. Lovely show, by the way. Thank you for that. Um, listening to the chit chat and, and, and kind of wondering about the effect. on So the what audience. is the what chit is, chat? What is the, Oh, that was the most fun I've had in a long time. It was a great show. Uh, people talking about things that they, you know, that they, they think how uh, it's done, how it's done. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got the whole problem solving thing, which has yeah. frustrated me for years. As you know, a, that's, as a you know, that's interesting. Just as a tangent there, yeah. I've, I've never really worried about that. Cause I think if they actually think about how it's done, and that they do that during the show, I have failed because I'm mm. taking them on a journey. Mm-hmm. And it means there was a lapse in the journey that they were not engaged enough to that they had to worry about how things are done. But afterwards, if they want to reflect on it, it's fair game and it's too late. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, sure. It's way but, too late. But uh, the. Uh, that's an interesting one because a lot of people that's a current obsession in, in magic with fool them and oh see fool, that. this fool at fool us with Penn and Teller yeah, yeah. for all the, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. respect I, they have I got some issues with, right, no, with I the do approach too. I do too so. I have a friend I have a friend who will send me notes and say David I've just watched this guy yeah. I won't quote the name of some magician six times over I keep rewinding it to see how this is done yeah. and, I, and I gotta tell you I kind of sigh. Uh, there's a little bit of sadness at that. For me, yeah, no, no, there for is, me, there is for me too. So, but the uh, so my question is, what do you want that lady, those two ladies who were behind me walking out, who had a lovely time? Yeah, what I want them to say is that was a lovely time, and then mm. they can get you know to it. I, you know, I think um, what I want them to, I want them to go back to Luke Sand. Mm. The, uncert- uh, the uncertainty. Yeah, that, yes. that there's something out there we don't know, and how great is that? Makes me want to go into work every day. What what do I what don't I know? What can I learn? How will that you know change? You know. So is that child? Is that so? Is that is that so? There, I sense there's this this this, this uh, uh, dissatisfaction may not be the right word, but tension. Is it is it that childlike sense of wonder that you have not ever lost? So I see it in my head. Uh, I lost it. <laughs> you lost it. Yeah. Well, no, you know, because no, no, I've known no, you a long time. No, and on one hand, I can go, David, no, no. very cynical guy. And on the other hand, not at all. Yeah, right? I don't think I'm really cynical. I'm, I'm impatient. Yes. Um, <laughs> you didn't have to answer so quickly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm impatient. But for other people, I have all the patience in the world. Yeah, no, it's true. It depends yeah. how it's approached uh, and what the expectations are. So. Uh, so you lost the childlike sense of wonder. Well, you know, I'm that's not, that's the sure. drug that got everybody into magic initially. Sure, you know, and the uh, uh, but that isn't, sense that, of, isn't that isn't that driving the mathematician? Isn't that driving the scientist? Isn't that what driving if? the neurolo- neurologist that really wants to take it farther? Right. I mean, I think you know. I think I suppose if you know, I've always counseled people not to follow my footsteps because I don't wish anyone the level of obsession because it, mm. it costs certain sacrifice mm-hmm. right? and uh and then it's like there was this great magician t nelson downs uh a manipulator who was approached by the father of dr william elliott um, a harvard uh, educated doctor you know circa 1900 who left his medical practice to do basically card tricks and elliott's father went up to downs and said you got to talk to my son you got to say to him you know, you, this is you know not the best you know path for you. And Down said it's too late. Like once you're bitten by the bug, it's over, right? And and I think that's true. Is that the is that the nature nurture thing? So if you had been directed, taken by the hand and directed a little bit differently, would you be obsessive about painting, about um, math, yeah, you about know, I, science? I, Do you? Well, think? one of my lifelong ambitions was to, is was is to be um, a cocktail lounge pianist and hmm. um, the uh, 
And actually, the flip side of that is to play all the Goldberg variations all the way through. And even though I've played piano like a long, long time, I'm, I'm not very good at it. So um, I, I, I just didn't, that wasn't where the primary directive came from. The primary directive for me was, I think, magic. And I'm magic in the sense of that's, it's, that's what, you know, pulls me. So I don't think so. I think, you know, I think the big change for me was my dad dying when I was, you know, relatively young, 17. And I had all these questions, all these what if questions and nobody to really ask. And then I ended up meeting some magicians and, and I either had a, somehow I either came across as, um, uh, a good guy or they were willing to invest in me time-wise Bob Farmer Howard Lyons Herb Morrissey into Ross Bertram and I had all these questions and uh, they and I think if my father was alive I would have been under that sort of thumb and that dictum and I'm not sure the same sense of exploration would have been encouraged although to be fair he's the one who got me my first magic tricks right. and the first magic book and those sorts of things but i'm not sure how that would have veered saying okay now you have to make a living like the, the magic is not something you can seriously do i'm not sure what his answer would have been to that mm -hmm. and that may have changed that direction i but i would love to ultimately i guess you know be a painter or uh things like that but i I don't have the time to to do those in a way because I practice every day so much and I think about this that the last thing I, I need is another mode for self-expression in that way. Right. So... Do you still have a lot of those what-if questions? No. Were they what-if questions about magic particularly or were they well, about you know sort of life They're, questions, you, metaphysical you questions? You know what? I haven't really. I haven't... I, I believe I've led a very... You know, I've lost my wife. I've had other issues, but I lead a charmed life. You know, really, I, I get to do what I love, and I've been able to have uh, a career out of it, like a real career. And when I, you know, left law, I, I was vowed to have a career, and that was leaving law 25 years ago, right? And it's funny, they, they still, the media, you know, the people still gravitate towards us was tax lawyer who of course yeah, you know and yeah. like that story just will not die uh, of course yeah yeah you know, why okay. would you why would you leave law right but it's such a you know it's, why would you get into law is a better question as far as i'm concerned well there's lots of you good know. reasons to get into law i think it teaches you <laughs> a great way of thinking uh it teaches you how to collect the debts from all the agents who fail to pay you <laughs> Um, you go back to the practicality. Forget the paradox. Let's go practical. It's you know all those things. No, yeah. law was great, and yeah. I I I I think it's a great education, and I think it uh, allows you, uh, it gives you the the framework to develop an expertise in a variety of areas uh, in a short period of time, which I think is an essential requirement for survival in this day and age. Where's um, Where's magic going? I mean. You got it all over YouTube. You got Fool Us. You've got documentaries and books being written about it. It seems like it's become almost a part of popular culture. And yet, there's still this layer of secrets out there that exists. Well, which is I, quite I, it's interesting that you would say that because most people uh, argue the, the, the alternative that there are no secrets anymore, where I believe there are lots of secrets. Mm -hmm. And I believe that even though we're surrounded by a few thousand books here, <laughs> that's right. Um, the 360 view. There are only about six or seven books here that I'd keep that actually have real secrets. Mm. And, and, you know, we've talked about tacit knowledge before. Yeah, sure. And I, uh, I believe that the, uh, you know, they used to say, if you want to keep something secret, put it in print. And put now if you want print. to keep something secret, put it on the internet. And so it's fine. They're just people who are doing that stuff. They just have like no idea, which is, which is fine. So in a way, not to draw on a Star Wars analogy, but I've always Go, loved Star Wars. Oh, yes. As, have you seen you know. a new one, by the way? No, I haven't. But oh, the, come on. No, I've been no, busy. I was like doing... Outrage. Yes, well... <laughs> The best is with Harrison again. When when they reissued the three, uh, you know, yes. the, the first three before they did, and we I had some tickets for the premiere, and um, it was in the opening sequence when Darth Vader's walking down the star, you know, the 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 plank, the the alley of the, the starship, and my son Harrison, I guess he had to be I don't know, like six or seven at the time, turns to me and whispers in a voice loud enough for the entire theater to hear, 
he's really Luke's dad. <laughs> and, um, the, did, and the entire not, theater just burst. Did we not burst. see that together? Oh, were you there? Were there? I believe we oh, were. Eglinton. Yeah, that was at the Eglinton. Was it? That was just, never, that was hilarious. It was it's hysterical. Just, yeah. He's really Luke's dad. <laughs> uh, so, but I believe, no you know, secrets, and again, it comes to the only, there's, there's only one thing more pretentious in life than uh, professing to be an artist. And that's professing to be a Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably true. Yes. Right? But I, I want to like, be both. I would like to think that, um, you know, There's wisdom in I, both. I can't disclose the fact that I'm a Jedi of magic, but there are Jedi of magic out there in the world that are preserving the secrets uh, and sharing them to uh, would-be Jedis who sometimes turn to the dark side because they lack the patience required to complete their training. And there are others who will, uh, we will see how they transform things. So I want to, I want to kind of wrap up talking more about the fundraiser, uh, and sure. some of, some of that side of, sure. of, of what, why we're here today. But tell tell me about that, that, that this, the, 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 what is it? The Padawan learners, right. the stu- where are the, where are the students? Are they, are they knocking on your door? You went to Ross Bertram, you said, will you take me on as a student? Does that happen very often? Is it the kind of thing you even want to happen? Uh, and is it, oh, hang on, is it necessary not only for your health going forward, but for the uh, art and craft of magic itself? Well, that's, those are a lot of questions. There counselor. are a lot of questions, <laughs> counselor. That's right. None uh, of them asked or answered, yes. I think that, uh, let me see if I can deal with them. I think that is perhaps still the best way to learn magic and to move it forward is to have the tutelage from someone. The number of people who I think can provide the tutelage, which basically means having the expertise to say, you know what, I don't know that, and maybe you should get the answer somewhere else, is are a few and uh, far between. But I think it's, it's ultimately that's the way things that progress and the way things that survive. Um, I've had a few people try to um, you know, approach me in a way, and we had, and we participated in a master class, which was uh, my dipping the toe into the concept of, uh, of teaching more. I, I think I'm at a point in my life where, again, without hopefully sounding pretentious, I'm, in a, I'm just embarking on a really amazing creative period. Hmm. Uh, I've sort of taken off time. I took off time to help my wife raise a family because that was very important to me. My goal was always to be the greatest sleight of hand artist in the world with a stable family mm. because it's easy to be the greatest of anything in the world. It just requires total obsession. And so I wanted that balance. Now my kids are grown and they're doing great. And, you know, Jan unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago and we've had to reorganize affairs and things like that. But I'm, so I'm at that point where I can just now attend to writing projects and other shows and, you know, film things. So, which does not leave a lot of time for teaching. And when I met Ross Bertram, Ross was in his seventies, right? Uh, people kind of, and when Vernon was really helping these guys in California, he was in his 80s. Mm. So there comes sort of a point. I think for a lot of people, if you're teaching that early, that's early, yes, you communicated information and you answer those questions. Uh, you still do that, and Vernon did that, and Ross did that at various points in their life. And I, I'd like to think I would do the same. And the way you do that is the old, um, I don't know if it's a Zen saying that when the student's ready, the, the master will appear, but it's true. And I believe, as I learned from Ross, that you know the students ready for the information, if not the relationship, uh, by the questions that they ask. Have they struggled with the issues to be able to flag what the issues? They don't need the answer per se, but they need, you know, the issue. When when you walked in here, I was working on this piece, the Vanishing Birdcage, for a year from now, and I've worked on this piece for twenty five years. A show from a year from now. Yes. And uh, I discovered the correct way to actually handle this. This was never been in print. And I think every single person, including the master, Tommy Wonder, and others, have done it incorrectly. Wow. And, and this was a discovery today? Or no, just no. no. I've just, I knew this I a mean, few obviously years this ago. I this is over and time. I, and I can, I, can, um, I can talk to you about it afterwards. But the, and I, I know on this one. It's just, but it took... Anyway, that's another story, but it, it, it took a long time to, to sort of right. get to that point. And it was me getting the clue from a master who was living in England through 
unraveling a riddle in his language that basically what happened is this. He said to me, he was a, a major um, collector of somebody by the name of John Martin, who was a, a secret mechanic for magicians 100 years ago, roughly 100 years ago. And Martin was the guy who helped really propel, literally, literally and figuratively, this piece forward. And then it turns out that I think everyone out there in the world of magic that I know just doesn't understand actually what Martin did or how it was employed. And this was unraveled through a series of riddles to me. Okay. And so, but... Michael so, Polanyi would say subsidiary particulars, just to bring it back to the tacit knowledge, the, okay. 40, the 40 years, the tutelage, right. the elbow knowledge, all of that just came to bear in an integrated way and you discovered something Yes. Wonderful. So, so <laughs> nice. yes, it, it's exactly yes, what happened. Yes, David, I agree. So, so, but, so it, but it, it was asking the questions, and the guy gave me the riddle because I got to the point where I could flag the issue. And that's happened to me a few times in my career. So I think that the way now knowledge is passed on from master to student is that the, the student will ask questions that flag issues that they understand that there's this black hole out there and I spied it around the corner of, you know, just out of view of this, you know, solar system or whatever. And you go, ah, yes, yes, I've seen that. I've spent a lot of time there. Mm-hmm. And then you, you give them clues on how to get there and as they make that progress. And well, most people drop out too soon. Right, right, mm. and it's that it's sort of line. you know persistence you know, that that does, it. and then they come back, and then finally they come back, and they annoy you enough that you say, okay, you work on this, and we'll see how it goes, and 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 it works. So, well, I mean, it's just we could keep going. I'm sure passion, the commitment, the paradox. I love I love some of the stuff we chatted about. The uncertainty, being okay with the uncertainty, for me is maybe one of my immediate takeaways. Um, well, you know, you know what's interesting there is that. Uri Geller was in uh, Toronto years ago, and he's a polarizing figure in many worlds. And in fact, a real funny thing for me was I had to interview Geller for his film at the Jewish Film Festival, and a week later was involved with it in seeing the screening of the Randy film. You know, it's yes, you know, and he which he appeared in. Yes, Uri Geller, Spoonbender, back in yeah. the late seventies, early eighties, yeah, yeah. made huge, a lot huge, of money. Huge. Yeah, perhaps. presumably scamming a lot of people. Perhaps. Okay. Good. <laughs> So, and so Geller's in town promoting this book. And I'm, uh, uh, Jan at that time was the head of the Children's Own Museum and was doing a fundraiser for them. And I said, well, let's get Geller to invite him to the banquet. And so we invite him to the banquet. And uh, somebody says, do you think you can get him to perform? And I said, well, you know what? He's, he's a performer. There's 600 people here who might want to buy his book. I bet you he performs. So I say, Erie, would you do something? And he gets up and... Um, I, I was tipped ahead of time that he's doing this new spoon bending thing. They were after the spoon bends to whatever is psychic energy or mechanical apparatus you want to attribute it to. Uh, he places a spoon down on the lectern and it continues to bend on its own visibly. Mm. Right? And I was aware that this may take place. And I am beside him like a hawk. Like I am, <laughs> I am watching everything. And so, and he was brilliant because where most magicians would bend. 10, 12 spoons in a row to show their power to bend spoons. Geller just bent one. And how does he set it up? He says, uh, uh, you know, I used to become famous for, you know, bending spoons. Ha, 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 ha. I discovered it when I was having matzo ball soup and the matzo ball sort of fell off my spoon because it bent when I was a child. And, you know, great story. Everybody, pick up your spoon. So 600 people pick up their spoon. He's got 600 people engaged nice. in this. Right? Great image, yeah. And he does the one spoon, and it bends, and he puts it on the lectern, and then we auction it off to raise money. And he, he says, you know, New York, somebody paid $10,000 for a spoon I bent. And I said, hey, this is like Toronto. We're not going $10,000 here. Somebody paid 2000 for it and was quite generous because they already own one of his spoons. You can actually peg who that was, right? <laughs> Just pure generosity. Yes. But afterwards, I'm with Geller, and I, I uh, people, I was posted on the internet my comments because I described what happened. People say, oh, you believe Geller? No, 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 no. So I, I, I know how I would duplicate that, what he did. Right? But I'm, the point of this story is I'm in with Geller outside in the lobby, and this woman comes up to him, and he goes, you are a fake. <laughs> you are a fraud. I am a real psychic, mm. like this, and so that was a kind of interesting twist that the real yeah, psychics are sure. saying that he's a, he's a fake. Sure. And so Geller turns to me and he says, "Well, what do you think?" 
And I said, you know, Murray, I'm just happy to live in a world where I don't have all the answers. Nice. And, that's, and that remains true to this day. How long is it going to take you to grow the hair back? Is the really the, the well, fundamental Julie, question? Well, Julie, my colleague and the executive director of Manjikana, has warned me. You know, sometimes it doesn't grow back. Some, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's hysterical. So, so may, uh, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure. I've never had my hair like that. So, and how much are you hoping to raise? A quarter of a million dollars. Wow, that's a lofty goal. And you've got yes. what? A couple weeks. I have three weeks uh, to raise that. I mean, it's, that's kind of crazy, but uh, you know what? If you, but again, I don't uh, look upon failure as defeat. So and you said earlier at the beginning of the interview, you said there's a group of you. Is it? Is it uh, oh, there are many people from oh, okay. different disciplines. Uh, Mad Dog, uh, the DJ, Ward and Al are doing it You know, for Al, the woman shaving her head. There's people involved with the hospital. Jorn um, Riesbrot, head of Luminato, is doing it. There's cool. At the launch, there were 13 of us. There's more, and we're trying to spread the movement. You know, it's sort of its own second of the party ice bucket challenge thing, but who right. cares? Right. We're not so interested. anybody can get involved. Anybody can get involved. I can, can do involved. this if I want. You can, you can not do a lot it. of value yeah, in me no, doing it. Absolutely. But... Go to knowherselfie.com, okay. download the app, spread the word. What they're saying is, um, you know, sh- uh, shave, share, donate. Right. You know, and so. what's the overall goal? So you've got a quarter of a million. Is, is there an overall goal? or yeah, is it Last just... year they raised, it's the first time they did it, oh, I think okay. about 1.8 million. Wow. All for research. I believe so, yes. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. David, thanks for your time today. Really generous and uh, great conversation. Loved it. David uh, Ben, Artistic Director of Magic Canada. Mag- uh, Magic Canada? Yes. Whoa. Whoa. Thanks for that. Uh, thanks again. Okay. Cheers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.